regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with us on the program today. Join me on the show, Stephen Gatowski, founder of The Reload, who has been doing some excellent reporting on what's going on over at YouTube, where a uh, large number of uh, vloggers who deal with Second Amendment issues, including uh, getting in some range time, recently found their channels uh, under fire, right, for, uh, well, we don't exactly know why. Supposedly this was a mistake, but uh, we also saw some folks who had had their accounts restored uh, all of a sudden go back down on uh, Friday. So uh, Stephen's got an update, and uh, I'm very, very pleased that uh, Stephen could be with us on the program to uh, talk about the latest attack by uh, Big Tech. Take a look and a listen. Steven, thanks very much for coming to the show. It's good to see you again, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to do another one of these crossover episodes the, across the universes. With the right? DC thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do love coming on the Reload podcast. I always love having you on here. Uh, and a little bit more of a crossover. I saw the latest Reload podcast. Uh, you were talking to Larry Correa. Uh, we also spoke with Larry for Cam and Company recently about his book uh, In Defense of the Second Amendment. So there you go. I would encourage folks to uh, check out the Reload podcast every week in addition to uh, Cam and Company. Uh, yeah, but I also want to talk. He's been all over the place, by the way. He uh, has been, which yeah, is good, good to publicist. see. Yeah, right. Uh, but good book, too. You know, I, I, th- I thought it was valuable. So. Yeah, I, I did too, and uh, and and Lord knows we need it because the uh, you know we the Second Amendment is under attack right now, so we need uh, uh, defenses of the right to keep and bear arms, and you know not all these attacks even are coming from lawmakers uh, or or even you know directly from gun control uh, uh, advocacy groups, right? You were reporting on something that happened on YouTube, um, and this goes back, I I, I mean, it goes back more than just last week, right? This is something that a lot of the uh, gun vloggers have been complaining about, that they don't really know what the rules are, Um, but all of a sudden, a lot of uh, uh, videos, and in some cases, entire channels, just started getting deleted, uh, and and you were able to trace this back to uh, the commonality was that they were all featuring, they all had silencers in these videos? They all had silencers, the guess was at least, that they all had silencers that were being attached to the ends of barrels. So they're being, you know, screwed on to to a gun, essentially. So it wasn't just that you had a silencer, it was that you attached it in the video. Um, and, you know, people, there was sort of, one of the big problems, obviously, with, with large social media sites like YouTube and their moderation practices is that they're often extremely vague and often intentionally vague. The argument goes from these companies that if they tell you exactly what the rules are, then bad actors will uh, find ways to get around them. And uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a you know a, a parallel there between um, moderation policies and uh, a lot of gun control laws, right? The, the sort of loophole argument that uh, you know if you're following the rules but doing something that some people don't like, then you're exploiting a loophole, right? And so that's kind of the idea at the core of a lot of these things. They don't want to tell you exactly what you can and can't do, because then you might do something that is what they don't want you to do, but still allowed. So instead, they go with sort of vagaries. And, you know, there's, of course, the other problem that uh, reading through the YouTube guidelines, it's very clear that the people who write them don't know very much about firearms to begin with. Yeah. Um, another similarity to 
a lot of gun control laws. You know, if you think the assault weapons bans, for instance, uh, it's pretty clear that people who write those don't really know much about firearms. Um, and so you get these situations where it seems as though screwing on a silencer or suppressor to the end of a barrel or attaching it in whatever whatever fashion. Obviously, there's a couple of different ways, a couple of different methods out there, but uh, that was deemed to be modifying a gun. That was what people assumed, at least, from reading through the, the rules and from the strikes they were getting. And these weren't, mind you, these weren't like, we're going to demonetize your video so you won't get ad revenue from it, or, you know, we're going to take the video down because it doesn't apply with how we're interpreting our rules now. These were channel strikes, which on YouTube, you get three strikes, and then they delete your entire channel, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. So that that happened to several people, to several large uh, companies, Silencer Co., uh, Ammo Land. You know, there, there were a number of significant channels uh, from even from major players in the industry that had their entire channels deleted over this uh, new interpretation of a policy, it seems like. Uh, and and then, uh, you know, it turns out that according to YouTube, this was a mistake on their end. So um, th they've reversed these strikes and channel deletions. But I think a lot of people are still left with a lot of confusion and distrust. I, I think so, too. And in fact, I mean, it seemed like uh, I think Friday afternoon, um, John Petrolino, one of our contributors at Bearing Arms, uh, was talking to uh, one of these vloggers who had had his account restored and then all of a sudden it went back down again uh, Friday afternoon. And so, you know, I think there was still some confusion. There's going to continue to be confusion, particularly, again, if, if YouTube and this is not just YouTube, by the way, I don't want to say th this particular case deals with YouTube. But I think, as you say, a lot of these policies, these sort of intentionally vague policies, a lot of uh, social media companies have these sort of policies. Right. So it's not just YouTube. It may be Instagram. It may be Facebook. And, you know, it seems to me like that's not going to change, right? If, if that's the attitude that we want to keep this as vague as possible um, so that we can avoid the quote-unquote loopholes, that this is an issue that's going to continue to pop back up and gun owners, particularly those, again, in that social media space, we're going to have to continue to, to deal with this going forward. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the thing is they may have reversed themselves on this particular policy, and it's not – entirely clear why you know maybe it was a genuine mistake it seemed to be something that was more systematic than that um mm -hmm. yeah obviously these large companies their moderation teams are huge and there's a lot of layers to them so maybe some middle layer made this decision and then when they started getting complaints about it or you know media questions a higher layer up was like never mind this is a bad idea uh it's hard to know exactly maybe they're worried about Congressional hearings. This is another factor now. Uh, you know, there's a law in Texas that that uh, is, is a new approach that sort of tries to force companies to uh, change their moderation practices by law. You know, opens them up to liability. So maybe they're part of that was the consideration too. But I think it is important to keep in mind as well that like these <laughs> the policies on YouTube are already quite strict. Uh, you know, you can't, for instance. Talk, you can't even mention uh, places that sell guns. <laughs> like you can't tell people you can't have if you're a YouTuber, you can't be sponsored by like Bud's Gun Shop or Cabela's or something and, and tell people to go buy guns there. That, that And that's true for pretty much all social media sites. So that you know, even though there's nothing illegal about that whatsoever, and it's extremely, uh, you know, it's just like telling someone to go buy a grill at a grill store. Like there's nothing mm -hmm. 
illegal about any of this, um, you know, you can't even do stuff like that. And there's far more limitations than just that. And so, uh, you know, it's likely going to continue to be a significant issue if you're trying to either make content for these platforms, uh, like, you know, you and I do, um, and a lot of other people do, a lot of uh, people with 10 million followers, subscribers, Demolition Ranch, for instance, on YouTube, very popular YouTube channel, uh, 11.2 million subscribers. He was affected by this too. He had a video taken down, um, <clears throat> which has since been restored. But, you know, it just gives you an idea that this was, this was across the board. It was uh, huge accounts and, you know, very small accounts. I got emails from them too. Uh, and, and I don't think that YouTube is going to suddenly, uh, just because they reversed this particular, uh, whatever you want to call it, policy mistake, um, doesn't mean that their new rule, they're going to change the rules to be more, um, understandable or friendly towards gun creators. And that's something that everybody has to keep in mind. It's something that has been an ongoing fight that, you know, a lot of, a lot of these channels are turning to alternative uh, hosting methods. Uh, you know, there's Utreon and, and rumble. You see um, Ian McCollum from forgotten weapons has tried this for years, complained about the policies and tried to find alternatives, but it is hard, right? Uh, YouTube's the largest by far. Yep. And it's understandable why people want to reach that audience. Absolutely right. I mean, that's that's always uh, you know the conundrum there, right? You you want if 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 you've got this one eight hundred pound gorilla, uh, and you know they've got these uh, policies that that I think are detrimental to you know in this particular case the Second Amendment or or, or gun vloggers. Um, yeah, you might be able to find a place that has policies that uh, that, that are better, but they don't have the footprint. They don't have the numbers, right? And so you lose that audience. Um, but you know, listen, I mean, as you say, this, I think this is part of a much broader effort that has been underway for a long time, but I think it's been ramped up since Bruin to denormalize gun ownership and to denormalize, uh, you know, the tens of millions of Americans who are exercising their second amendment right. Um, they want, I, I think the, you know, the gun control advocates, um, and unfortunately I think that there is a, you know, the tech space is weird because you've got a lot of libertarians in there. But you also have a lot of, I think it's fair to say, anti-gun progressives um, who I think are in a position to, to make some of these policies. And I think that they are willing to do whatever they can with these platforms, again, to to push gun ownership to the margins, to push it to the fringe, right? To make it seem like it's something dangerous uh, and verboten that shouldn't be spoken of. Um, as opposed to, you know, I don't know, providing an education and training and actually normalizing the exercise of a constitutional right. Yeah, this isn't going to disappear and it's not going to change. This is one of the fights that we face. Um, and again, we're talking about private companies. So, I mean, unless maybe you can make some sort of antitrust argument, I don't know. Um, these companies are, are you know, look, they've got broad leeway to set their own policies as far as content moderation, uh, at least at the moment. As you say, state legislators are getting involved and then we'll see what what happens there. But uh, this is a uh, fight that's going to continue. Um, speaking of, of Texas, though, I, I, I want to talk about a decision out of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, for a moment or two um, that does implicate Texas. Uh, Texas is in the Fifth Circuit. This was that uh, decision that um, basically said those subject to a domestic violence restraining order um, should not be barred from possessing firearms, right? That that, that federal law... Um, goes too far, that there are no historical analogs. And and what's really fascinating about this case, Stephen, when you read that opinion from the Fifth Circuit, 
Uh, there was an Oklahoma judge actually who uh, on Friday I think declared that uh, uh, the marijuana policies are also um, mm-hmm. in violation of the Second Amendment. And and the the common theme there is that there is no limiting principle on the part of the DOJ right now. That they're basically arguing if you get pulled over for not wearing your seatbelt, well, you're no longer a law-abiding citizen, and and so therefore you you've lost your Second Amendment rights. Hypothetically speaking, now in these particular cases, that's that's not the law being challenged. But you've got multiple federal judges now pointing out that DOJ's position is basically uh, any violation of any law, no matter how minor, removes you, separates you from your right to keep and bear arms. Yeah. Yeah. And that <clears throat> that stems from this argument about who the Second Amendment applies to, right? Because it's the right of the people. And so um, in Bruin and Heller and McDonald, the court had talked about at points law-abiding people and so the doj is trying to argue that only essentially non-criminals are in that group that's protected of the people like they're trying to make this argument about certain kinds of people fall outside of the political protections provided to the people and so the courts thus far as you noted there have, have rejected that idea although you have seen some uh, there was a district judge in Texas that ruled, uh, he ruled against the, you might remember this one, I'm sure a lot of your audience remembers the one, it's uh, the felony indictment uh, ban on receiving guns. He ruled against that law mm-hmm. because basically sort of somewhat similar to this restraining order issue where these aren't, you know, an indictment is not a conviction. Uh, a restraining order is not a criminal tr- uh, conviction. It's a civil proceeding. Uh, there there were some, uh, I would say that the, the restraining order issue there were a couple of historical analogs that got a little bit closer than what you've seen with some of these other laws, like the solvents bans or magazine bans. Um, you know, the surety laws are were civil. They did prevent people who were accused of being dangerous individuals uh, from carrying a gun without posting a surety, a bond, or you know, sort of insurance. But um, obviously, the court in the Fifth Circuit ruled that that punishment is different from different enough from the restraining order gun ban where you can't possess firearms that it, it's not a close match that that might be a key point as this case moves along we'll see but uh but basically these uh, uh, that judge who ruled the felony indictment uh gun ban on ban on receiving guns or obtaining guns was unconstitutional he later ruled that the felony conviction ban was constitutional because felons fall outside of the protections of the people historically so like felon for instance felons can't vote um mm-hmm. uh you know that that's that's a common restriction on somebody who's convicted of a felony and so you have this sort of base idea of like who does the second amendment protect is it just uh every american uh, as the which is what the fifth circuit basically ruled or is it only certain, you know, law-abiding people like the court sort of mentions, but doesn't? The court, of course, never ruled that only somebody who's never had any trouble with the law is protected, because as the Fifth Circuit goes at lengths to point out, like you said, there's no limiting principle to that. Is somebody who has a bunch of parking tickets not law-abiding? You know, what is the, where's the line, like? domestic violence restraining order you might get a lot of people to say yeah that that's not a law-abiding person perhaps um but where you know doj didn't provide any sort of line for what where that ends 
So I know that this is something that you write about in the newsletter uh, at the Reload, and I would encourage folks to uh, to sign up and subscribe. But uh, give us just a, a a little preview of what's behind the paywall here. Um, what do you think the Supreme Court is likely to do uh, with with these cases when they eventually get there? Obviously, it's not imminent, but Garland has said that uh, uh, he will be appealing this Fifth Circuit decision. Um, is this an issue you think the Supreme Court uh, is ready to wade into? Do you think they're going to, you know, because there, there is, I think, now a bit of a split in the circuits, maybe not a formal split, but, uh, you know, do you think the court is, is is ready to weigh in or do you think they'll uh, they'll continue to let this particular issue percolate in the lower courts a little bit longer? Yeah, that's I think that's a really key question. Usually when the government ap- appeals a decision like this where uh, the, you know, the the practical effect is that federal law doesn't apply in the fifth circuit right now on this on this question uh whereas it applies everybody everywhere else in the country and that you know the federal government and the supreme court don't usually like to let that stand for too long but the main things that will be you know impediments to getting to the court immediately are that this was a panel decision so you still have the en banc court to consider like if the government wants to appeal they can take it to the full fifth circuit and see what they say and then the other issue is as you alluded to there is a circuit split in the sense that you know no other circuit has found this law to be unconstitutional however i don't believe there's there hasn't been another appeals court that's considered this question after bruin so the court might uh, and and in this particular situation where i think it's a closer call than you know some of these other issues that we focus on uh, you know some of these other modern uh, gun laws. Uh, I I do wonder if the court's going to want to see how other districts approach this question. Like, what are there going to be good uh, reasons that fall in line with Bruin to say that this law is not unconstitutional? Uh, that's that's where you might see the court want to wait a little bit. But if it does get there, you know, one one of the things that I do wonder is whether whether they might. Uh, reverse this ruling because as much as it is in it seems to be pretty well in line with Bruin right uh, you know the the logic used in the Fifth Circuit's reasoning is uh, pretty sound I think mm-hmm. uh, for for a lot of reasons you know a lot of these law these historical analogs aren't really exact matches uh, you know it, it, for the purpose of the law or the means by which it tries to accomplish that. And so, uh, you know, it, it may well be the right outcome uh, under the Bruin test. But the thing about the Supreme Court is that there's, there are pra- practical things at play, right? This, the court to this point has not struck down a gun law that was really popular. You know, it struck down bans on handguns in the late 2000s which by then there are basically two handgun bans in the whole country, right? Chicago mm-hmm. and, and DC. Uh, and same thing with Bruin for gun carry. Like the, the country had, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, had basically total ban on concealed carry everywhere. And by the time the court got around to it, not, no one banned concealed carry at all. Uh, and then you just had those eight states that were May issue, which had these restrictive laws that were, uh, you know, somewhere between no carry and and shall issue, right? And so the court has not been a at the forefront of these issues. They've really been uh, waiting until the public comes around on certain issues. And I don't know that you know domestic violence and gun ownership uh, is obviously something most people don't want people to have 
guns if they committed some sort of act of domestic violence. Obviously, this issue is deals with a restraining order rather than a conviction. As I said earlier, I think that's a key distinction that, that the court might also, you know, these other courts have found this to be a pretty important thing, and the Supreme Court might feel the exact same way. But, uh, you know, you also have the court mentioning, you know, machine gun bans are not implicated by Heller, neither are the felon in possession bans. You got that concurrence in Bruin from Roberts and Kavanaugh that say shall issue permitting is fine, even though they don't go through and do a historical analysis like Bruin requires to explain why this law is uh, is fine as part of the tradition. Uh, so it's a little more up in the air than I think people might imagine. I think you're right. And I think one of the underlying debates uh, with, with this particular topic um, goes back to Kavanaugh and Barrett and um, you know, their, their belief, I think, in previous cases that maybe the wrong standard is being used, right? Maybe it shouldn't be that, well, all felons uh, are prohibited from uh, possessing firearms, even nonviolent felons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, violent misdemeanors, uh, with the exception of domestic violence misdemeanors, are, are not prohibited. Uh, Justice Barrett has talked about how the historical standard really should be dangerousness, right? That, that, that's the mm-hmm. proper uh, historical standard to use. You could still have people who would be prohibited. Um, but again, it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, based on, well, you, you were convicted of, you know, felony welfare fraud 20 years ago, so you can't own a gun, uh, which I think was the, uh, the charge in, uh, Cantor, uh, versus Barr. Um, and you're right. I, I don't know that the court is ready to, to deal with that, uh, and to take that on because that That's would a be a, it is a very big question. You're right. Uh, and it may need to be dealt with, uh, based on the Bruin test, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the court is going to take it up right away. Hey, Stephen, listen, uh, I could talk with you for hours, but uh, unfortunately, we are already at the end of our allotted time here. I do want to thank you for being on the program, as always. Uh, I would encourage folks to check out the Reload. <laughs> Get ready for the big game. Uh, polls. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, listen, best of luck to the uh, Eagles this weekend, and uh, I look forward to talking again very soon. I do appreciate Stephen sitting down with us for a few minutes. Looking forward to having him back again very soon. Uh, and I was on the Reload podcast a couple of weeks ago. You can uh, check that out over at thereload.com as well. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there uh, with a disturbing case out of Rochester, Minnesota. A Rochester man was given just 180 days behind bars for raping two young girls. The victim is between four and nine years old at the time. This is uh, absolutely outrageous. Uh, this was a week ago. Muhammad Bakari Shai uh, appearing before uh, Judge uh, Jacob Allen in Rochester, Minnesota, uh, one week ago for a sentencing hearing. He was facing three different felony first-degree criminal conduct charges in two separate cases. But he was offered a plea deal by prosecutors, which called for no prison time, a stay of adjudication, and dismissal of two of the uh, three charges in this case. In fact, if Shea completes his probation under the terms of this plea agreement, all charges against him will be dismissed and will not be on his criminal record. As the uh, Post Bulletin in Rochester reported, one of the juveniles in the case around nine years old. The other was between four and five years old at the time of the sexual assaults. And the family members obviously uh, complained about this deal and the lack of consequences. One of uh, uh, the survivors testifying says, there's no moving on or getting over it. I've 
tried breaking down and crying after uh, giving her witness impact statement or victim's impact statement there be uh, for the judge. Shea was between 15 and 16 years old at the time of the sexual assaults. He was originally charged in juvenile court back in 2019. Uh, but because of the court closures, thanks to COVID, this case was pushed back to the point that uh, prosecutors um, would actually lose their jurisdictional authority to prosecute the case. So charges were dismissed and then were ultimately refiled. But he was, again, offered a plea deal that included that stay of adjudication and no prison time in exchange for him not challenging certification in adult court, uh, which allowed for his continued prosecution. He entered an Alford plea in December of 2022, meaning that while he does not admit guilt, um, he does acknowledge that a jury uh, would convict him based on the evidence. Uh, his attorney, James McGreeny, uh, McGinney, rather, argued that the court lacked the authority to oppose any jail time. Uh, as that was not the, quote, spirit of the plea agreement in any jail sentence would be in violation of the agreement. And amazingly, the, the judge, this 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 counts for getting tough on Mr. Shea, because the judge ultimately agreed with that argument, pointing out that judges ordering stays of adjudication in drug cases routinely impose a 30-day jail sentence. But at most, Shea will serve 116 days in the Olmstead County Detention Center. His jail sentence will begin on February 13th, so we didn't even have to report to jail immediately. He's also under, uh, ordered to undergo a, a sex offender program and complete 200 hours of community service, but he will not be required to register as a sex offender, despite, again, allegedly raping a four-year-old, somewhere between four and five-year-old, and a uh, nine-year-old. I, I Again, you can talk about, you know, the court closures and the delays that were brought on by COVID, uh, the fact that he was originally charged as a juvenile and has now uh, moved into uh, adulthood. I just don't see any way how this deal is going to sit right with most anybody there in Rochester, Minnesota, nor should it, quite frankly. And uh, the excuses, I mean, listen, I, I get it. There were court closures. There were lots of delays. It impacted far more than just this one case. Um, but again, that doesn't change the fact that somebody says, yeah, this has gone to a jury. They would have convicted me of raping these kids. And now, less than four months in jail as a result. Today's Armed Citizen story, Billings, Montana, where police say a woman shot two men in an act of self-defense in an attack outside of her residence. Uh, police uh, said uh, last week that uh, the 25-year-old woman Shot the two men, uh, ages 29 and 37, uh, apparently to protect herself. Uh, Police Lieutenant Matt Linick uh, said in a a statement to KTVQ, as far as the victim using a firearm for self-defense, the law is pretty clear on people's right to use self-defense when they can articulate a threat to themselves or others. Uh, Like all cases of this nature, the case will be reviewed by the county attorney's office. They could bring forth criminal charges against the shooter if they deemed the threat didn't meet the level of force used. But right now, police believe that it did. Shooting happened uh, about 1245 last Saturday. Uh, police described the incident, 1245 in the afternoon, by the way, broad daylight. Uh, they described the incident on social media as a possible robbery with shots fired. Uh, in a statement, police said the report indicates the suspects attacked the victim in her car outside of a residence. The victim pulled her concealed firearm, and both suspects were shot. One of the men who was shot remained at the scene. The other fled the area, but arrived at a local hospital shortly later. Neither of the men were armed when police were uh, uh, ran into them. 
Um, according to uh, police, due to their injuries, neither suspect arrested or charged immediately, uh, but the case was sent to the county attorney's office for review and official charges. We'll keep our eyes on this uh, story, let you know any uh, details as they become available. And finally today, a good deed of the day, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, an off-duty EMT who was able to save his neighbor's life by using the uh, skills that he uh, deploys on the job. This was in uh, Wyndham, Maine. Dustin Andrews works as an EMT for Wyndham Fire and Rescue. And uh, back on the morning of January 24th, um, he was actually off of work, just driving his family, and he said the car in front of him started to behave oddly and then crashed into the snow uh, that was lining a retaining wall over a bridge. Um, Andrew saw what happened, said he had to pull over, and then he noticed a guy, uh, Rob Parrott, uh, in the driver's seat. At first, Andrew thought he was having a seizure. He said, but once I get access to the window, I was able to realize he wasn't breathing. And that's why I said, all right, he needs to come out. I pulled him out, began CPR, used his pocket knife to actually break the window, uh, performed CPR on Parrot for seven minutes before paramedics came by. It doesn't sound like he was able to call 911 at that point, but that paramedics drove by and saw what was going on as well. Parrot ended up surviving uh, his medical episode, which doctors diagnosed as a, a cardiac arrest. And has recovered enough to the point that he could talk to local media. He said, it just blows my mind. I'm still trying to figure out where people were. There has to be a reason. He said, the chances that an off-duty first responder noticed he was driving on and then stopped to rescue him were so low that he decided to invite Andrews and his family over to his home this past Sunday so they could meet each other formally for the first time. He said, I did it just to show him how much I appreciate it. And, you know, this is why you do your job. Whenever you get something good, I like to see you recognized for it. So the uh, two were able to, uh, you know, share an embrace and a hug, spend some time together, getting to uh, know one another. Parrot said, just to be here and meet the guy that saved my life. And in my opinion, without his actions, I wouldn't be here today. Well, it's as simple as that. Say so in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Dustin Andrews of Wyndham, Maine. Well, your neighbors already thanked you for your very good deed, but uh, we thank you as well. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Camp and Company. But again, I would encourage you to check out BearingArms.com, the website throughout the day. There is so much going on right now in terms of court action. We've got uh, new lawsuits being filed. We've got requests for TROs and injunctions in uh, federal court in Connecticut. Uh, we also are watching what's going on in state houses around the country, particularly in those blue states where uh, big bad gun control bills are starting to pop up. And they're uh, going to be on the move in places like uh, Maryland, this week so again we'll get you caught up wherever you live whatever your concerns and uh, by the way we'll give you the good news as well because there is some good news to report out there if you like what you see in terms of our reporting i'd also invite you to become a vip member at bearing arms just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe use the promo code gun rights and you get a significant savings on your vip membership as our way of saying thanks for showing your support we're going to give you exclusive content you won't get anywhere else because your support does matter and it really does make a difference we'll see you back here tomorrow until then be well be safe be free.